Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We've been on a series called The Invisible War. How many of you know things that you cannot see still affect you? Uh, It makes no difference if you can see it or not see it. It still affects you. It manifests some way in our lives. Uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. This is John chapter 15, verse number 19. And as he speaks to them, he's giving them some insight about where they are and their position. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, I I don't know if uh, you understand that you can be too worldly. How many of you know scripturally you can be too worldly? And if you uh, don't walk or march to the beat of the world's drum, Jesus said the world will hate you. Now, this uh, week I went to get my mail. This is personal mail sent to my house. And uh, I, I got a, one of those letters. How many of you ever got hate mail? Anybody, anybody get hate mail here? Um, I, I normally get hate mail every once in a while. It used to be worse, and the secretaries and stuff, they, they would keep the mail from me, so I didn't read all my hate mail. But I got one this week, and, and I guess maybe I'm doing good. I, I don't know. <laughs> if the world hates you, maybe you're doing good. I, I just don't, I don't know if that's right or not. But this is what I know. If you stand for Christ, and if you do what the Bible says, the world, according to Jesus, will eventually hate you. So there's a world system out there that we can be involved with, and uh, it's not going to be good if you get trapped up into that. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you love us today. We are so grateful that your word illuminates our life. Let the Holy Spirit teach us today. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbors. I'm glad you're here today. This world word, this word world, appears in your Bible about 250 times. It's repeated over and over and over again. It is the Greek word in the New Testament, cosmos, with a K, cosmos. That's where we get the the word cosmos from. Now, it can mean our natural world, you know, the world that we live on. It can mean the inhabitants of the world, but it can also mean this worldly system that is sinful, that is controlled by sinful people, that uh, is an environment that's against God's people, that's against the cause of Christ and the purpose of Christ. And, And let me tell you something, you live in this world. You're not of this world, but you live in this world. Now, last week we talked in 1 John chapter 2 that John revealed to us that we're in a struggle, and that struggle involves that uh, you understand, and I understand that struggle involves your fleshly nature. How, how many of you know you've got a nature inside of you that you struggle with? How many of you want more cookies than you need? I quit preaching and went to meddling, didn't I? Uh, you, you struggle with a, a flesh problem. You also have an enemy that's against you, the devil. And then there is this worldliness that John talks about. So I understand it this way. It helps me to remember it's the world, the flesh, the devil. Say that with me. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, they're all invisible in the way that they attack you, but they manifest in certain ways. So last week we talked about the inner struggle of the flesh. So the world is the battle around you. The flesh is the battle within you. And now... Satan is the battle against you. 
So let's talk about the worldliness today. And if we could withdraw ourselves from the world, we think, okay, it would be okay. In certain places of history, there have been people, monks and monasteries and people who said, I'm going to get out of the world. I'll sequester myself, kind of like COVID-19, right? I'll sequester myself. I'll be away from everybody, and that will end my battle. No, because you're still there, and you still have that inward battle. And Satan still opposes you and comes against you. So even if you remove yourself out of the world, your battle is not over because you're still in the world, but you're not of the world. And sometimes that's very frustrating, isn't it? It's challenging. Uh, I have someone that I know by the name of John. I heard him tell this story this last week. And he said he had a friend who was also in, in the ministry, a pastor, a preacher. And he said that he was quitting the ministry. And John said, you, you quit the ministry. He said, why have you quit preaching and quit pastoring? He said, because it's so frustrating. And he said, this is what happens. I, I preach the gospel and, and people come to the altar and they cry and, and I pray with them and, and I try to work with them. But he said, six months a year, he said, I, I never see him again. He said, that's so frustrating. And he said, we, we had this guy in our church called Charlie, and Charlie has struggled with alcoholism all of his life. He's been a drunk, and, and he said, we've had programs for him, and I've, I've called him, I've counseled him, I've prayed for him, and he just goes back to drinking over and over and over again. And he said, we have couples in our church that have marital problems. And he said, we pray for them, we, we counsel them, uh, we talk to them, and we think they're going to make it, and many of them, they just go ahead and divorce. And he said, so what are you doing? He said, I'm a funeral director now. And he said, John, when I straighten people out, they stay straightened out now. But you know what? It's the world. And if you're in the world, you're going to have these issues that are going to reoccur over and over and over again. And you're not going to solve it, and I'm not going to solve it. And even if I get away from it, still a battle, still me there that I'm battling, still the, the enemy against me. So we are fighting these battles, and sometimes it's the invisible struggle that you face every day in your life. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, this is what he says. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Everybody say world. Now in verse 15, he says, If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. But the world has a way of creeping into our lives. Not only to our lives personally, but also into our lives corporately as the church. And I think you would agree with that. George Gallup, the pollster, many of you have heard the Gallup poll, he met with the Southern Baptist Convention many years ago, and in those leaders, he got up and addressed them, and he said, we find there is very little difference in the ethical behavior between churchgoers and those who are not active religiously. The levels of lying, cheating, stealing are remarkably similar in both groups. Eight out of ten Americans consider themselves Christians, Gallup said, but yet only half of them could identify the person who gave us the Sermon on the Mount, and he said only five in ten could give us some of or even half of the Ten Commandments, and he said most, only two in ten, would not be willing to suffer for their faith. How many of you think the world's crept in? And this worldliness is not only an individual thing, but it also can be a corporate thing. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul addresses this in verse 17, 18, and 19. Listen to what he says. He says, brothers, brothers. So he's not talking to the world. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. He's talking to you and me, 
Brothers and sisters, he says, join me in, in imitation, or join me, join in, in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Now, I said in the first service that that can be dangerous when he says, uh, imitate me, or join me, or those who have given you a good example. How many of you know if you just follow preachers, or you follow men or women, you'll end up in South America drinking Kool-Aid? But hear how... John, I mean, Paul qualifies this. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. So we want to follow people who are following Christ, right? We, we want to follow those who have a good uh, representation of Christ, those we can imitate in Christ, those who have good character. But this is what he says. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Now, listen to what he says in verse 19. He says, their God is their belly, they just follow their, their fleshly desires, their mindset on earthly things, their end is destruction, and my friends, that is, that's worldliness, isn't it? That we're only concerned about the things of this world. I uh, listened to someone who shared this this past week, Robert Waldenlinger, he shared a research project about what makes us happy. They took 724 people and they tracked them over 75 years. 75 years is a long time. So this organization, through different people, had done surveys, tracked them for 74 years, and they began to track these people and they began to ask them, what brings happiness? So what they did, they include a survey of millennials, recent survey of millennials. And so the number one thing millennials said that they wanted out of life that would make them happy. Anybody want to know what the number one thing was? To be rich. To be rich. So about 80% of them said, what would make you happy? They said, if I could be rich, I'd be happy. Now here's the next popular answer. About 50% of them said to be famous. So what do we take from that? Most millennials today from this survey said, if I could be rich and famous, I would be happy. How many of you know that is extreme worldliness? So here is the tracking of 700-something people over about 74, 75 years, and they, they tracked them, and these are all kind of people, people who were born in poverty, people who worked in factories, people who had uh, money, people who were politicians, and as they tracked them and their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids, uh, some, you know, were drug addicts, some became alcoholics, some became doctors, some lawyers, some became uh, wealthy, some political, one president came out of this group. But after they tracked them for that period of time, the number one thing that everybody said, no matter who they were, that made happiness come about in their life was good relationships. It is the relationships we have. It's not money. It's not fame. It's relationships. Let me tell you, the number one relationship you need in your life is a relationship with Jesus Christ the Savior. Because if you gain this whole world and lose your soul, what does it profit you? You, you can say, I'm going after the world, I'm going after the money, I'm going after the fame, and there's nothing wrong with money or fame. Just get it in the right order. 
How many of you know, if you've got money you don't need, just give it to me, that'll be all right. There's nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Money's not the root of all evil, it's the love of money. It's that worldliness. It's relationships that make us happy. So sometimes we get our mind off right relationships, we get our mind on the world, and how many of you know, we take a detour off of happiness. And we need to make sure that we don't do that. So we have to be careful. It's been proved over and over again. We need good relationships. You need a good marriage. You need a good relationship. Does that mean you won't ever have a squabble or a fight or an argument? Absolutely not. I've shared with you for over 30-something years, every once in a while, Carrie and I have great, intense fellowship. Does anybody ever have intense fellowship with your significant other, your spouse? Absolutely. But at the end, how do you know? You still have to have great relationship. You, you, you move forward. So how do I overcome, how do I set myself against this tendency for worldliness? Well, I'm glad you asked me. Let me give you three things today. You got a pencil and paper? Here we go. I have to first understand that God is our source. Say that with me. God is our source. Your source is not your company. Your, your source is not your wealth, it's not your bank account. And you say, well, pretty much so. Well, let me tell you something. God is your source. The psalmist says this, this is Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. I will lift up my eyes to the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Ultimately, everything you have that's worthwhile comes from God. God can bless you through your company, through your practice, through your work. He can bless you through that. But I'm going to tell you, ultimately, your source is Almighty God. When Abraham took Isaac up to the mountains of Moriah, remember God said, take your son. And, and God's going to teach Abraham something because how many of you know God's going to give his son later? And he said, Abraham, take your son. So he takes Isaac up to the mountain. And Isaac's not a baby. He's not 10, 5, 12. He's a grown man. And he says to his father, he said, Father, here's the wood, here's the fire, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, this man of faith, said, God shall provide himself a sacrifice. When Abraham's ready to take his son to the altar, how many of you know God stops him? And as God stops him, Abraham gives us a name for God that's never mentioned before in the Bible. And it's this. He says, God is Jehovah Jireh. You know what that means? The Lord God is my provider. Do you realize you're still serving Jehovah Jireh today? God is still all of our providers today. He's the one who is our source, and we are looking for him to be our source. If I think the things of this world is my source, then I have to realize, no, that's not right. God who made this world is my source. That's why every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father, and we have to believe that every day. And sometimes you're going to get in difficulty. You're going to say, how do I make this bill, or how do I pay this? I've got more month than money. Has anybody ever had more month than money? Y'all are so holy. Let me tell you, Carrie and I have been there time and time and time again, and you know what I've always done? God, you see my predicament. God, you see my situation. God, you see my trouble. You see my challenge. And you know what? I've just had to trust God through every one of those things. That's why Paul said in Philippians, he says, But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God is our source. 
And that will help you from becoming worldly. Here's the second thing. You need to realize the pressure of conformity. Say that with me. Realize the pressure of conformity. Paul talks about this pressure. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. But look in, hone in on verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. Say that with me. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, what is Paul saying? He's saying this world will conform you. What does that word mean? This world will reach into your mind, reach into your lifestyle, reach into your life, and begin to mold you and make you into what the world wants you to believe. And be, and do. And it happens every day. Our kids are susceptible to it. They're bombarded. So we have to realize that the world is a conforming world. The world wants you to be like everyone else. That's why when styles come out, I mean, you know, everybody gets in the right style. We want the right clothes. Uh, I've said this to you many times. When my boys were in school, when it was nerd day, they said, Dad, do you have anything in your closet I could wear? That, that helps your self-esteem, doesn't it? Why? It's nerd day at school. Well, folks, the world wants to conform you and mold you into the way the world thinks. And we're bombarded by movies and television and entertainment and music. And this is what the world is saying. You've got to believe this. You've got to think this. This is the way you act. This is what you do. And this is the lifestyle that you accept or you believe in. Now, there are many areas the world's trying to conform us into. Sexuality. The world's trying to conform us there. Marriage. And there's an intense pressure to conform you to believe and act and do what the world's view is. Homosexuality. Same-sex marriage. Premarital sex. Living together, adultery. And the world is saying, this is okay. But you know what? God's Word says something completely different. And it's not just individuals. Because even people that are unregenerate, sometimes they're very worldly, but sometimes they don't conform to this thinking. And even Christians, some Christians... uh, certainly believe what the Bible says. You can't conform to this lifestyle or this thinking. It's not biblical. But even some Christians say, well, this is okay. And they will go against what the Bible says. And it's not just individuals. How many of you know even churches will conform? And you know this. Some denominations have even come to the place where they've said, this is okay. What's happening here? What's happening even in Christian culture? We're conforming to this world, and it's called worldliness. And this is what Jesus said. He says, you're not of this world. And then the Holy Spirit moves upon John, and he says, if you love this world, the love of the Father is not in you. This is hard, isn't it? If you can't say amen, say oh me. I mean, help me out here. This is not my opinion. This is the Word of God. 
And so we don't need to conform to what this world says, worldliness. We need to believe what the Word of God says, which is truth. And so whether it's sexuality, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's living together, premarital sex, adultery, or even pornography, it's a huge issue today, especially among men, even women, but mostly among men. In 2017, one porn site had 97 billion views. That's just one. There are thousands of porn sites. But one, just one, had 97 billion views. Is that a struggle for humanity? Yes, it is. Have people given in to it? Yes. Does God forgive us? Absolutely. How many of you know His grace is sufficient? But it's still an issue. But there are people that think there's nothing wrong with that. And even today, there are different programs and movies coming out that is sexualizing children. And there's going to be a huge group that says, that's okay. Where are we headed in this world? So somebody has got to stand up and say, I'm not going to live like the world. Amen? And the last bastion on this earth for this is the church of Almighty God. I'm not saying one shingle outside the door. I'm just saying the church as a whole. How many of you know you're glad to be a part of the corporate body of Christ all over this world? And we are almost the last bastion of this truth. Because the world is giving in to this and there has to be someone who stands up and says, we're not going to go that direction. Can I hear an amen? amen? So, you think about this. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, let me just uh, give you the facts, Jack. Uh, if you're involved in pornography, it lowers sexual satisfaction. It increases your loneliness. And there's a double chance of divorce in your marriage if anybody's participating in pornography. And you say, well, you're just saying that because you're a preacher. No, this comes from psychology today. This is a secular source that says this is so damaging to us and our relationships, right? So worldwide, we are facing this calamity and this danger, this invisible war of people getting trapped in worldliness. Today, there are about 30 million abortions going on every year. About every 96 seconds in the United States of America, there is an unborn baby that is exterminated. And let me tell you, there's a huge amount of the world that says about all of these issues, this is okay. And how many of you know, this is not okay. This is not of God. Let me tell you, it's of the world. And there is the God of this world that's pushing this, and that's Satan. So we, you and I, we have to stand up and live this every day. We should not be worldly people. Here, here's the third thing. Have a kingdom priority. Say that with me. Have a kingdom priority. So how do I overcome worldliness? I realize the world's trying to conform me. Secondly, thirdly, I have to have a kingdom priority. Matthew 6. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus gives us the greatest sermon ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. But in the middle of that, right in the middle of that, chapter 6, Verse 31, therefore, do not worry. 
How many of you have ever worried today? Sure, we're, we're all susceptible to worry. Why do we worry? Because there's things that we need, and sometimes we worry about those things. And, and the Lord knows that. How many of you know He knows that? So He says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Well, can we worry about you know, how we pay our bills? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Sure we can. But if I realize, number one, God is my source, and then I get to this place and realize if I have a kingdom priority, if I have a kingdom mindset, then this is the promise of God. Whatever you need, I'm going to supply for you. Now, why is he going to do that? Because he's our Heavenly Father, we're his kids. Let me tell you something about my kids. I try to provide everything I can for my kids. You remember me telling you that for a long time I had this habit when my kids would come down and see me, I'd ask them, do you have money for the toll booth going home? How many of you remember me saying that? Uh, let me just share just a little bit here. My son works in the medical field. My daughter-in-law is a doctor. My other son is an attorney, and his wife's an attorney. They make more money than I do. <laughs> but when they leave, I say, do you have enough money for the toll booth? Well, what are you saying that? That's just the heart of a father, right? How many of you know you have a heavenly father that's a lot better than me? And this is what he said. What are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? What are you going to wear? Don't worry. If you have a kingdom mindset, if you seek me and my righteousness, I'm going to provide everything you need. How many know that's good news? And it helps me from not being worldly. Because if I'm worldly, how many of you know it's exactly against the things of God? Now I'm going to tell you two things here and we're going to close this out. The first thing I'm going to share with you is from the time of Saul being the first king of Israel. And there is a group of people called the Ammonites who are the enemies of the people of God. The Ammonites come against a city called Jabesh-Gilead. And they siege the city. They surround the city. They're going to destroy the city, either kill the inhabitants or bring them into slavery. And so the people inside said, you know, can we come to some kind of agreement here? They knew they couldn't defeat them. Can we come to some kind of treaty or truce or an agreement? And this is what the Ammonites said. Well, maybe we can, but this is the condition. Everyone in the city has to put out their right eye. How many would agree with me the enemy wants to, he wants to blur your vision? He wants to diminish your vision of who you are, what you can become. If, if everyone in the city will put out their right eye, we will not destroy you, but you will have to be our servants. And somehow a messenger got out of Jabesh-Gilead and the word got back to Saul and the rest of the nation of Israel and they told them what the Ammonites were doing to the city of Jabesh-Gilead. And let me tell you, something rose up in those people. How many of you know it's all right for something to rise up in the people of God? Something rose up in those people. And they began to gather together 
They came from all of the nation, and they sent word back to Jabesh Gilead. They said, hold on. Before the sun gets warm tomorrow, we'll be there to rescue you. How many of you know help's on the way for you? God's willing to help you. He's willing to help me. And sometimes we get into situations that absolutely we have no idea how we're ever going to get out of it. Have you ever been there? Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. But I want to tell you today, hold on, help us on the way. Now the second one's found in 2 Kings, and this is the story of Elisha the prophet. What had been happening, and let me give you a little background, Syria had been trying to destroy Israel and take them over, and every time that they would come to attack Israel, the Israeli army would always be right there to defend the country and send them back. And so the leader, the king of Syria, brought all of his captains and all of the advisors and said, something's wrong here. Every time we attack Israel, they're waiting for us. How in the world do they know when we're going to attack and where we're going to attack? <laughs> and someone in the back of the room held up their hand and said, listen, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking there's a spy among us. But that's not true. I'll tell you what's happening. There is a prophet down in Israel by the name of Elisha. And every time we attack, God reveals to the prophet where we're going to attack and when we're going to attack. And he tells the Israeli army, and they're there to defeat us. And the king says, well, let's go after Elisha and let's kill him. So Elisha is in the city of Dothan. And he has his manservant there. And one morning, the manservant gets up early, and he goes outside, and he looks around, and guess what he sees? He sees the entire Syrian army surrounding the little city of Dothan. And he goes back in to where Elisha is, and he says, hey boss, this is not going to be a good day. That may not be in the Bible, but you get it. So Elisha comes out, and he looks... And of course, there, there it is. There's the Syrian army surrounding the entire town. And they're looking for one guy, and it's him, the prophet Elisha. And they're there to kill him. But yet, something happens there. Elisha turns to his manservant, and he says, you need to take a look. And Elisha prayed, and he said, God, open up the eyes of my servant. How many of you know there's some things God's doing that you can't see? There's some things that's invisible. He's working, but you can't see it. He said, God, open up the eyes of my servant. And when he did, the servant saw what Elisha saw. He saw chariots of fire and the armies of God surrounding the armies of Syria. How many of you believe with me God's got your enemy already surrounded today? He's working even though you don't see Him working. In this invisible war, God is working invisibly sometimes when you can't even see what He's doing. But this is what I know about Jabesh Gilead. This is what I know about Elisha. When they think the enemy is there and they may be victorious, the call may come out to you and me. Hold on. Help is on the way. And I don't know what you're going through today. 
You're probably like me. You go through some stuff. Anybody go through some stuff? But can I encourage you today to tell you help is on the way. Don't give in to this world. Fight it tooth and toenail. Try to teach it to your kids the things of God. Because let me tell you, when they get into higher education, there is a system that's going to try to make them and form their minds to a worldly mindset. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can see clearly this demonic, fallen worldview that's not of God. Don't you bow your head with me today. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.